You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, 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 out there in podcast land. So glad that you have joined us today on the Renewed You podcast. I'm your host, John Yule, and this podcast is sponsored by New Life Church. You can find out more about New Life Church by visiting newlifeokc.org. And we are proudly a part of the Stream Grace Network. Please visit streamgrace.com and you can find all kinds of podcasts that are there for your benefit. Today, I am honored to have my one of my best friends and uh, friend in life, uh, Jeremy Griffin, is my co-host today. How you doing, Jeremy? Uh, muy bien, you too. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking in tongues on this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Um, thanks for making the time to be with me today. Yeah, for sure. It's always fun. All right. And we have with us a returning guest, someone who is uh, important in my life. And uh, I'm excited to do a two-part episode with her. So we're going to talk about a subject with Dr. Teresa Davis that is very uh, important, I think, especially in our society today. And we are going to do a two-part series on anger and how you can get control of your anger so your anger doesn't get control of you. And I will let you know before I introduce Teresa today that in the comments of this podcast is a link to her book and workbook on anger anger management that you can get at Amazon. And uh, I would just encourage you to get it. It's a great read and it will really help you in your life. So with that being said, how you doing, Teresa? Great. Man, I'm so glad that you're with us. I, I really do appreciate you uh, coming back on and uh, just give people for those that haven't uh, listened to the other broadcast that you were on where you told your story, just give them a synopsis of you, where you're from, and how you got into helping people with mental health issues like anger. Uh, let's see, where do I start? <laughs> I was raised in an um, abusive environment. When I was 27, I realized it. I was already married, had two kids, and basically was just making a mess out of all of our lives. And I got counseling and it helped and it was really more along the lines of inner healing counseling um, very spiritual four-hour long sessions real in-depth real difficult but it helped and because I'm ADHD I didn't do well in school I barely graduated high school and when my kids got to the place where they didn't I was a stay-at-home mom when they got to the place they didn't need mom going to the schools and blah, 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 blah. I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do. And the only thing I ever really enjoyed studying was the Bible. So I went to a Bible college and said, I want to go to school here. And they said, you have to pick a degree. And I was like, I don't want to do a degree. I want to study the Bible. And they said, oh, well, if you're going to go to school here, you need to pick a degree. And I didn't want to be a pastor or a youth pastor or a music minister or a teacher. The only thing left was behavioral science. I said, okay, well, counseling helped me. Maybe I can do that. And so my real drive was to do the theology part. But 
um, you know, God just, it was God's will. He opened that door for me to go to school. Every class, every dime of it was paid for. It was all on scholarship. Um, I graduated third in my class for somebody that's ADHD. That was huge. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I graduated, I went right into my master's degree, having absolutely no clue what I was going to do or why I was doing it. I did. Um, I started my bachelor's when I was 34. Mm. So, I mean, I was already an adult, you know, and then I graduated my master's and went right into my doctorate. I, I just didn't, I didn't know what God had planned, but I was moving forward and just decided that I would open a counseling center that helped people in the way that I got helped. And my goal then was, it was before Obamacare. Mm -hmm. And most people didn't have mental health insurance. When Obamacare came into place, he mandated mental health insurance. And so people could go get it for 15 to $30 copay. But when I opened, people didn't have it. And so my goal was to help people that couldn't afford $125 an hour to go to a counselor. We started at $30 an hour. Yeah. Mm. And um, we filled up quick. That was seven, almost 18 years ago. Um, and we've, up until COVID, we didn't have any problems getting <laughs> clients. But March 15th, we left church. Went to the mall, ate lunch, picked up some stuff, went home, and never came back out again. Yep. And Mary Hart closed, and it's been well, closed I, ever since. I think with what's coming out of COVID, as we're coming out, I, I think we're, we're going to see an incredible explosion of mental health issues that's going to um, give you a great opportunity to speak into. I, I agree with you because what I'm seeing is fear. Really? People live in fear now. And it's not just COVID fear, it's fear of losing their money, fear of losing jobs, fear of being stuck at home again, um, fear of what's gonna happen in the future, it, especially in our government. You know, everybody I talk to, there's some kind of fear driving them. And, you know, I mean, there's depression and loneliness and all that comes with people being at home with COVID, you know, and lots of marriage issues, you know, people that weren't used to being at home with their kids. Now we're dealing with child abuse issues that weren't there before. But I really think the core is all the fear. Wow. Um, you had mentioned ADHD, that you had it. And um, I am coming to believe that ADD and ADHD, those are kind of the synonymous nowadays, right? Yeah. They're not as separated as they used to be? Right. ADHD is the only one that's in the diagnostic manual for mental health. ADD was removed completely. Okay. So I, I personally think ADHD is way underdiagnosed. I, I think that that's true, especially in adults. I think it may be overdiagnosed in kids because teachers want to blame all behavioral problems on right. ADHD and stick them on some medicine so they don't have to deal with it. But if you think about people that were raised in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s that struggled with these kind of issues there was no diagnosis for that yeah and and so we all had this belief that children would grow out of it and what the mental health world has come to understand is that you don't grow out of it your stress levels get less but then you get married you have kids you have job you have a responsibility you have all this stress and now all these symptoms are coming back and they're worse so, you know, it wasn't formally diagnosed until 82. 
and probably a clear understanding wasn't until the 90s and then it started getting overdiagnosed. Oh, that's what's wrong with this kid. Oh, that's what's wrong with this kid. Well, hey, I have plans of us doing a, at least a two-parter someday on ADHD. Uh, but for people that maybe don't even understand what some of the very common symptoms are, um, give us a couple of common symptoms uh, of people that have ADD or ADHD. Well, it doesn't depend. It doesn't matter whether you have inattentive, hyperactive, or a combination of both. The five main characteristics of ADHD are inability to stay focused, impulse control mood swings, short-term memory. Oh, can't remember the fifth one. And long-term memory. <laughs> <laughs> Just memory in general. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah. the ability to control emotions is it, another Yeah, one. that's what I thought it was. Um, and I know that ties into mood swings, but um, uh, is there then a tie between ADHD and anger. Absolutely. What do you think that is? Or why is that? Let's put it that way. If we go back to the beginning and we think about a child that is struggling with ADHD and doesn't know it, or even if they do know it, well, let me say this first. Most children, not 100%, but most children that we test with ADHD score high in oppositional defiance or aggression. So those kind of come in as secondary diagnosis. So that's a part of the brain that is affected by the ADD is the part that controls moods. So if you do a test, I don't know that I've ever done a test on a kid that they didn't score high in at least one of those two areas. And so people see them as oppositional defiant and that's not what they are. It's that they've got so much going on inside of them and they have no idea how to express it or deal with it that it comes out in anger. And so, you know, you take a child that's growing up with that and then they become an adult. And you've got these children that have been told you can do better than this. You're not doing your best. Try right. harder. Well, what we've learned through brain scans is the harder a child tries, the more their brain shuts down. No, that doesn't make sense, does it? To the average person. No. Try harder and you'll do better. Right. That's so what we tell people and that's what, you know. But you get this ADHD brain that already has these areas that there's no neurotransmitters going off. And that part of the brain is working as hard as it can work already. And then somebody says, you need to try harder. Now you're putting all this focus up here on your brain and your brain starts shutting down. Doesn't work. When they do brain scans, they do one resting and one with concentration. And the one with concentration, there is more than double as much lack of neurotransmitters that are going off in the brain. Because for people that don't know what we're talking about, they can take scans of your brain and it shows the electro... Neurotransmitters. Yeah, the electricity basically that's going right. off in your brain and areas that if you were to look at a brain scan that are dark is areas where there isn't any right. uh, anything firing, if you will. And depending upon where on the brain is dark helps them to diagnose what kind of ADHD. And where your struggles are. And they can pretty much tell you what your symptoms are based on that. Yeah. So you get a little kid that grows up in a home, especially, you know, what we have found over the years and all research is showing this is that if a child has it, at least one parent has it. So you get a parent that has ADHD that has a kid that has ADHD and they're button heads. <laughs> yeah. No. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and the only way that doesn't happen 
is if God is in the center of that home. Yeah. And they really do trust God with getting through this. And you and I know of somebody that went through that. Yes, we do. And I mean, they were at their wits end with their child and he was a sweetheart child. That child is a completely different person. Different. I mean, just amazing. And it literally came down to something that I don't think uh, the church really we we i don't think we're equipped to deal with it like we should be i mean i think i want new life church to be equipped with people like you and other counselors that come in and link up that we can help people here's what i don't think we really are, are equipped with we don't know how important brain chemistry is no i mean it is real and um the world doesn't understand much less the church you're right. The world condemns people that have mental illness instead of trying to understand it. So if the church isn't, I mean, if the world isn't understanding it or even trying to, the church is, the church should step up and do better than the world, but they're right. not. Well, hopefully we can do that. Uh, let's jump into anger. So if ADHD, if people are having trouble, if someone is having trouble with impulse control, um, and I know there's varying kinds, mm-hmm. so I don't, I want to just simplify it for a minute. Um, and I want to go on record as saying I have it. So, um, you have what ADHD. Okay. (laughs) I admit it. Okay. I'm not going to hide it, but what I've come to understand is I've studied it for myself. Um, especially recently was I didn't understand how important a lack of dopamine is to attributing to the racing and the impulsivity Mm -hmm. and the fact that, that you're trying, you're trying to get your body to do something, but it doesn't have the chemicals necessary to control your impulses and serotonin you gotta, gotta have both of those in there because both of them control it and what happens is your brain is supposed to produce a certain amount in order to to function correctly and when there's a shortage of serotonin dopamine even um adrenaline you know mm-hmm. i mean everything that produces all those chemicals in your brain when there's a shortage in there something's gonna break right mm. and that's why so many people have depression is because their brain's not producing the right amount of serotonin, and so they start down. And so the less and less and less and less serotonin, then they go down farther and farther and further. And so that's why we recommend, go on an antidepressant for six months, let's work on these issues, because most of the time, depression is circumstantial. You know, someone's died or something major has happened. Let's get you on some medicine for six months. Let's work on these issues while your brain is right, it's got the right amount of serotonin, taper off the medicine and you're fine yeah it's a kind of a kick you know help well i'm just i'm just taking this in as a undiagnosed uh person with adhd (laughs) 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 that's my assumption um because because our youngest son there's he's recently i think he's been diagnosed i don't know well i know you won't you don't know i'm looking (laughs) at you like that um that's the uh that's the most recent scenario but as i mean just as i hear you talk it's like well yeah Um, but what's funny is, and you said one parent usually has it, and I've talked about the potential of, of struggling with that. It's hard for me to put myself in those categories, especially thinking back as a kid and where I was, but definitely butting heads with him. I mean, I was his main caregiver during the day for his first 18 months of life, and my goodness, it was insane. And that was long before you could ever, he could be diagnosed. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, you'd never know. I just, we had, what's funny is we had our two older boys and they couldn't be more different. They were born less than a year apart, but they couldn't be more different. And that kind of blew my theories out of the water. You know, before I had kids, I was like, well, you know, kids are like 
of product of how you raise them and 30% them. And now I'm like more like 95, five the other way. (laughs) If that, if that, right. It's like they were the same. (laughs) And so, but both of those boys uh, being, you know, different in personality type and everything else, man, when our third son came along 10 years later, 11 years later, it was like a whole new level of like, we had uh, a lot of stubbornness in our family but it was manageable. You know, we, we use those things. We look at stubbornness as a quality if we use it right. You know, mm-hmm. we teach them to be stubborn about their convictions and hold to it, things like that. But man, so I had one, my oldest son was very talkative, but very personable. My middle son at the time, my youngest son was very defiant, but very quiet. So he was stubborn and I say defiant, stubborn is the right word. Well, our youngest now is very vocal and very stubborn. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, no, no, no. I didn't need a hybrid. <laughs> but man, we, we just, we were at our wits end. And, and I mean, it's probably around two, two and a half. We started, it was like, what? This is supernatural. Like we were just blown away. And as parents, that was another thing I thought was so interesting for us. I mean, 10 years later, everything, we were, we were different people. You know, you're raising mm-hmm. these other kids. And, you know, when I'm in my 20s and I've got a toddler running around and I say, come here, and they don't, I get up and grab them and teach mm-hmm. them when I say, come here, come here. Uh, when you're in your 30s and you have a toddler and you say, come here, you say it again and a third <laughs> time, and then you give up and go, ah, that's all right. Because <laughs> you're just lazy, you know? Can I help you understand that Please. real quick? Yeah, it'd be great. If the part of the brain that is damaged from ADD is not producing the right amount of serotonin, you can tell a child over and over and over the exact same thing, and it will not change them. And that appears like rebellion. Mm -hmm. It's not rebellion. It's that that part of the brain is not working. So explain then what does serotonin do? I think everybody should know what dopamine is. I mean, it's tied to pleasure and calm. Okay, but what does serotonin do? Serotonin is the leveler. It's what everything needs in order to feel level, okay, balanced. So you get one part of it that's not work. Now, all of a sudden, you're out of balance. So it hmm. it kind of is the stabilizer, maybe. Um, and without it, in any area, I mean, it, it could be like from an accident, you know, where you hit your head and now you have this major brain injury mm-hmm. and something in that injury caused that part of your brain to no longer be able to receive the serotonin well then it's not going to work without the serotonin it's just Mm -hmm. not so a perfect example jeremy is if the area of the brain that isn't working is impulse control and you tell a little boy don't do that and he hits and you say don't do that and he hits and you say don't do that and he hits and you punish him and he hits and you know you want to pull your hair out because it's like what do we do if, the, if there's nothing in that brain that is saying don't do that, it doesn't matter how many times you tell a kid don't do that. Right. He's going to continue to do it. It's about finding the strong parts of the brain and using them to overcome the weaknesses. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, so in the practical, because, you know, first off, uh, as a parent going through that, the practical doesn't come into play in the moment. You're like, well, <laughs> I don't know what practical is. I'll but. practically show you a belt. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, it was so funny because it was like, he. W- I remember this one specific time, I don't remember how old he was, but he was throwing such a huge fit. And we had these tiles, the 12-inch tiles in our house. And I said, stand in that square. <laughs> he stood there forever. <laughs> like, I couldn't, 
And he would just scream because he wanted to leave the square. And I said, I need you to stop screaming as soon as you stop screaming. And this just goes, went on and on and on. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. You know, it's just let you scream, like put you in another room. I, I just don't even know. Well, it it's weird. because that kind of punishment didn't work with him. Clearly. Right. Well, and that's the thing we tried, <laughs> we tried so many things and it, uh, what I would like to ask in relation to this, because we have found a very direct correlation to his, um, management of these challenges, focus, the mood swings, all of this stuff, a very, um, connected thing. The amount of time he spends looking at a screen versus not. So if we, if we take the screen from him completely, of course he melts down, right? We're the evil people on the planet and he wants to die. You know, his life is over. But when he doesn't have that screen time for longer periods, like extended periods of time, all of a sudden he starts coming into this place of like a normal kid who goes out and plays. Well, because research is showing that screen time is really, really bad on ADHD brains. Gotcha. So it's really better to use it as a reward yeah. than to let them just continue to do it because it's... Ca- it, it, it's like giving them candy for dinner. Yeah. It's kind of like giving candy to an ADHD kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, it it's not allowing their brain. You have to exercise their brain, mm-hmm. so it's not allowing them. And, and you know, here's the thing: uh, the Gulf War. Those kid, those guys that went out there and flew, they did good because they had been playing video games, right? And I mean, they knew how to move quick, and you know, so there are some good qualities to it. But it can't be a babysitter. Right, sure, yeah. And so the minute that you start saying, I can't handle this kid anymore, here's my phone. Right. Well, now you're making the problem worse instead of better. Right, yeah. I, it, we've gotten to the point now, especially when it's game stuff, I try to engage with him. If we're going to play games, yeah. we're going to play games together. Oh, yeah, that's good. As opposed to just go off in the other room or whatever. How old is he now? Ten. Oh, so yeah. you're in the fun age. Well, yeah, we, well, that's the thing. I'll say that. I mean, we. I feel like, you know, there was this hard time, like from three to eight, I just felt like was super hard and now and it really comes down to expression you know as he's gotten older he can express with his mouth what he's going through trying to teach him to do that and say hey you know it's it is it's just been interesting and really awful um (laughs) but it has been but it's so funny i remember when um, you know, I taken personality tests a long time ago, the, uh, the one with sanguine and, mm-hmm. and all that. So my family, before we had Jacob, uh, pretty much we had all four. And I remember thinking, man, this is just a social experiment. We're going <laughs> to stick us all four in this house. <laughs> my wife was, was probably, she's very phlegmatic, uh, got a melancholy, got a sanguine and a cleric. And it was like, well, cool let's do this right? god's got a sense of humor right? right and 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 i will say this i think the positioning was really good like i wouldn't want the choleric as the youngest you know what i mean yeah. so i was the choleric and that worked out okay my wife was the phlegmatic uh and then the melancholy and oldest was the sing one and so when jake came along i remember telling my wife i'm like well i wonder what we're going to get here because there's just four <laughs> right one that has all four exactly and boy howdy that's the truth and and i think it's just to me one of the things we talked a lot about is i i believe that that as parents god gives us those kids not just for us to raise and shape but for for equipping us to do things in the future how we deal with other people mm-hmm. i know that one i've got a wide range of friends that have radically different personalities that a lot of them would never be able to get along with each other. 
but I'm able to get along with yeah. them. And I think a big part of that is because of raising my kids and knowing how some of those folks think. And it's also because, well, first of all, I think God gives people boys to make them into men. Yes. And there's a there's so much great value and need for that in the church. Mm. But I also think that he gives certain people certain children because he wants those children raised a certain way. Yeah. To be good. able to be... Uh, whatever he wants them to be for the kingdom mm-hmm. and gosh i see the opposite so much yeah you know i just and and here going back to the anger if you want your child to grow up and not be an angry person a, a, a child that has adhd it's about validating all of those emotions right and telling him it's okay for you to feel like that the bible doesn't say don't be angry right. it says right. don't, don't sin be, that's right, right. Yeah, we do that a lot. <laughs> it's like, hey, you can be mad. I get it. I'm mad right now, too. We're both mad. <laughs> yeah. But I love you. You love me. And we don't want to do things that are mean to each other. Right. And <laughs> we know? do it with respect. Right. We still have to keep respect. So validating a child's feelings when they're ADD or any child, really, mm-hmm. and helping them to understand that the anger is okay and finding a good way for them to work out anger. One of the things that we do in therapy is we give them a piece of paper and a crayon and said, draw how you feel. Right. And sometimes it's just a black scribble right. and that's okay. They're getting those emotions out. On and my sabbatical, you should see all my paintings. They're all black. <laughs> <laughs> didn't start off that way. Well, I think it's interesting what you guys are talking about. Um, one of the things you talk about in your book, I'm jumping into the middle of it, but it was actually one of, one of my three favorite chapters is about the difference between acting and reacting. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, we as parents react. Absolutely. And then we're training our children to react. And what are we usually doing when we're reacting? We're getting onto them for how they're acting. But while we react, we give them the credence to react back at us. Well, we teach them that. We teach them that that's the right way to handle things. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is we get onto them for doing it get onto them for reacting <laughs> yeah while we're reacting in the process right yeah i mean that's a typical cycle that we see especially when it comes to anger is we say don't scream and yell <laughs> yeah we're screaming and yelling <laughs> i've never done that <laughs> mm, i'm german dude <laughs> I, yes that's what we do you can't speak german without yelling that and irish man. that and irish um so with, let's talk about act and react. All right, go for it. What do you remember, Johnny, about the difference between acting and reacting? Again, well, for me, what I took away from that is somebody who's, um, I'm middle-aged, and until recently when an event happened in my life that put you in my life in a counseling way, I did not know that I was ADHD. Right. And when we were going through the many tests that that we went through and I started seeing the characteristics and getting honest with myself um I think a lot of us a lot of people when we when we look at ourselves we look with the best lens yeah you know we want we want to internally I always viewed myself with the worst lens um but when you're trying to tell people about you or answer questions, we answer with the best lens. Well, this, so we answer how we want to be, not necessarily who we really are. And then we compare. 
And then we, yeah. And then that just leads you right into depression or negative thoughts. And, um, so I think or elation, if when you compare, you're shown to be so much better, <laughs> maybe I think yeah, that, most of the time it's not that no, way. Uh, no. I think no. that's why most people with ADD don't, or ADHD don't understand, um, the, the ne- the impact of negative thoughts. So, um, what I took away from that chapter on acting versus reacting was again, learning because of other things you had written in the first part of the book that specifically tie to anger. But again, a lot of those same coping mechanisms apply to ADD. They apply to everything in life in some ways. One of those being take a pause. Yeah. You know, don't just respond, even though you want to now for an ADD person like me, that is incredibly hard you know, to not... Because your hyperactive ADD, an inattentive person takes a pause for too long and then people get tired of waiting on them. And a hyperactive person acts before they think. <laughs> yeah. and It's and, that impulsive coming to your brain and out your mouth. So let me give an example for somebody who's listening that maybe you're you're wondering, well, do I have ADD? Well, let me just answer you, probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> listen. If, if you, you have question to ask. It. If you have to ask, you know. Um, and... Like here, here would be a great example. I cannot tell you how many times in my marriage where I've done something or made a decision. And then when asked to explain the logic behind the decision, I I don't know. I couldn't do it. I literally would say, I don't know. And then as we started hanging out, I remember when my kids would say, I don't know. And that would infuriate me. Of course you do. You made a decision, (laughs) but then you realize, I don't know. I really, that is a true, honest answer for a lot of people who act before thinking it all the way out. And because mm-hmm. of that hyperactivity, they can't slow down long enough to think something through all the way. And so what what we have to do to learn how to act instead of react, it, I think you and I talked about this, Johnny, that we have a tendency to respond to the same type of behaviors the same way. Right every time kid yells i yell right it doesn't matter what you pick a scenario and our response to that is usually the same and so we begin to be like an actor and we learn apart we train ourselves to think differently and then the next time that same circumstance happens we already have prepared another way to handle it in our head so we're not just reacting to what right. we've done in the past so let's say something like someone cuts you off in traffic that was my huge thing or somebody riding on my butt I mean yeah that was my huge biggest trigger for anger and I mean I would be crazy I would road rage because I would chase people down that's one of the reasons I drove a Mustang (laughs) (laughs) a very nice Mustang I might add now but I mean I had oh you had one before oh that's just Uh about all I've driven and I literally, when I came to the conclusion, you can't do this anymore, I had to sell my Mustang and buy an SUV to keep myself from driving crazy. <laughs> At least you didn't have to buy a minivan. <laughs> well, that was close. <laughs> but you, you have to get to a point where you say, next time someone gets on my butt, I'm just going to move over and I'm going to let them get by and I'm going to bless them as they go by and pray for their safety and I'm not going to react. Okay, so what you're describing there, if I may jump into another section, is you're describing self-talk. Exactly. That um, everybody I know of talks to themselves in their head. Absolutely. The the problem with ADHD people (laughs) 
is we have someone asked me one time, how do you describe uh, your mental state? And I said, easy, a hamster in a wheel. <laughs> and because once I get on a negative thought, man, it is hard you get to stop in. that mm-hmm. wheel. And you just keep, so it, once you start analyzing yourself, if you, we don't pay attention to the talking in our own head, um, we literally tear ourselves down constantly. All the time. And, and who's there to, to counter that? Nobody. So what does that do? We build the state that we're going to live in. And your self-esteem is destroyed. Your self-confidence is destroyed. Who you feel as a person is destroyed because it's negative, 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 negative. And then somebody comes up, man, that was so good this morning. And you think, he's lying. We don't even believe it because we're so used to hearing the constant negative all the time. Or the flip side would be, let's say you're trying to work out of that. And then there's a criticism right it enforces it just throws you right back on the wheel and it or you make a mistake that's even worse you make a mistake and your answer to why is i don't know well gosh you're never going to get off the wheel now so i think and i want to i want to know what you think this is my thoughts on as i'm looking at myself I think the negative thought process, the, the negative self-talk, I mean, I think you lead off the book with that, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, it's chapter two. Okay. That self-talk and learning how to win that argument, how to think differently. I really believe when, when I started dealing with that, that's when my anger started to subside right. because I didn't realize I'm not really angry with you or Jeremy. I'm really angry with me because I have so destroyed myself to where someone can come up and maybe, you know, like one of the things that, that you talk about in your book is learning in that self-talk is pausing and thinking, okay, I know this person loves right. me. They are not trying to hurt me. They're not trying to destroy me. And from that, Shandra and I developed the idea of the square um, in that, or the box in that um, there's the me box. There's my personal box. There's Johnny, the, pastor box there's johnny the friend box there's johnny the dad box for example Mm -hmm. well most of my life i've lived in the me box so everything that was spoken let's say someone was trying to help me become a better pastor or a better leader well if i'm in the me box i take what is meant as constructive criticism and turn that into negative input that puts me right on that hamster's wheel because now they're not talking about a function of what I'm doing. They're talking about me as a person, whether they mean that or not. That's not their fault. That's because I don't know how to get out of the box. It's the way that you hear it. I could say to you, Johnny, why'd you wear that shirt today? Because I wanted to be like Jeremy. Yeah, I almost (laughs) said it. (laughs) But what you could hear me say is that shirt looks like crap. Why did you wear that today? Right. I'd come to your defense because... Because you're wearing the I'm same wearing shirt. The same <laughs> so, Johnny, here's here's a perfect example of, of, I think, what you're talking about, is we have a married couple that comes in that there's a lot of anger in the relationship. And one of the things they do is that when they start fighting, it escalates. And so, and I, and I talk about this in... Which one did I talk about this in? I'm not even sure which chapter this is in. Um... They come in and they, they begin to tell me, you know, what their fights look like. And most couples that fight, that there's a lot of anger in the relationship, you don't hear of a lot of resolution. Right. They're just arguing until they get exhausted. Right. I think this is in fair fighting I was going to say, I think it's fair fighting. Um, and so 
You're tugging on me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> One of the um, things that I do is I tell them, after you have had an argument that's lasted over 15 minutes, does it ever get any better? Mm. No. <laughs> so stop. Like, we can't stop. We're in the middle of fire. Yeah, you can. Just stop mm-hmm. and take a timeout. And here's the kicker. During that timeout, what do you think about? And you come up with a determined amount of time that you're going to take for time off, never any longer than 24 hours, okay? What do you think about? What are you doing during that 24-hour period or 15 minutes or three hours, whatever it is? You get up in the morning, you're arguing, you say, okay, let's stop. Let's take a time out. Let's talk about it when we get home from work tonight, okay? Most people, I would say 99.9% of the people in the population that I've seen, when they're away from each other, they just think about how mad they are. Mm-hmm. What, who does he think he is? Why does she think like that? That was so, that was blah, 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 blah. She didn't care about me. And so that goes on all day long. So by the time you come back together, it's just more escalation. Mm-hmm. The purpose of self-talking in that type of situation to de-escalate it is to think of a solution to say, okay, why was that so important to him? Why was this, why is it important to me? Is this really significant enough for us to be fighting about? Um, what is a compromise that we can come to in this situation? What is a solution? You talk to yourself like that during that timeout. Then when you come together, first of all, you're more at peace. Right. And now maybe you can start working on a resolution together. If you can't, that's when you call a counselor. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think there's a, for those that are Christians, um, there is a scripture that I think we misapply. The scripture says, uh, is, says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Or mm-hmm. don't let, okay, but it doesn't say don't let the sun go down on your problem. Right. It's talking about those emotions that sometimes maybe the best solution is to get rid of the anger the wrath that's tied to the issue so you can find the solution right and that self-talk is so huge and there's another scripture that i think people want to totally and completely just ignore and it says what causes fights and quarrels among you your self-centeredness you're wanting things your own way you're wanting things your own way and you're not getting it and as christians that is not agape love Right. Agape love is giving without expectation of getting anything back at all. Right. And so our responsibility as a Christian couple that's serving the Lord is to say, this is not important for me to win this fight. I tell couples all the time, I bet I say this at least once a week. Why does it matter who wins? Exactly. Right. Man, the funniest thing about that, when I, and I feel absolutely blessed by the Holy Spirit to have revealed this to me at such a young age. Lori and I were fighting. We were newly married. We were in our, like, maybe 2021 at the most. And (laughs) I came home. I don't remember what it was about. Of course, it was a long time ago. But all I know is there was a moment where she was right, and I knew it. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, so what am I going to do with this information? (laughs) Right. And, and, I mean, of course, all this happened real quick. And I just looked at her and said, that was a good point. You're right. What's for dinner? Right. And she said, she just got so mad. She thought I was being sarcastic. <laughs> and I said, no, I am a hundred percent serious. And I said it back to her. When you said this, that made sense. I was wrong. You're right. And I learned right then that the disarming of just owning, I was wrong. You were right. 
Now you can't do that if you're not in a safe place, right? If right. I didn't feel like right. she would take advantage of that. But it's so funny because so much of what you're saying, we had to discover for ourselves and I praise God that we did because even like if you start fighting for a long period of time, at some point we're just like, well, I mean, do we, do you want to do this? I don't want to do this. Right. <laughs> we just have a conversation and I know it takes her a lot more time to get over it than it does me. And so I try to give her that space. But the other thing we do all the time is just right on the front end of something. Cause today our arguments, when we have fights, they're not fights there we're one of us is frustrated about something else mm-hmm. and have in some way, uh, we're carrying that over to each other, just being short or right. something like that. And so she'll say it or I'll say it. I'll just say, Hey, when you said that, it hurt my feelings. It's not overly dramatic. It's just a communicative statement. Like little bothered by this. I feel like you're short with me, whatever it is. I may be perceiving it wrong, but I'm just telling you how, how it's coming across to me. And she'll do, she'll do the same thing to me, but she does it. I'm much more matter of fact. And she's, she says it in a way she'll walk out of the room and say, I'm leaving. You're being mean or something like that. So, but I know what that means. I know that's really how she feels. She's just making light of it. And I think, you know, being able to find those early on and just own that, you know, but the problem is Jeremy, especially with men is it's extremely hard to get them to the place of being able to say that. It's yeah. It's very hard for, first of all, for men to admit that they're wrong and their spouse is right. 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 And it's so rare in my family. So it's not that big of a deal. It's no, it is rare in mine too. <laughs> it's like, it's the other side. When, when Shandra, when mama says daddy's right, the kids all like, what? Uh, Let's record that. No, but I, you're, you're right. It is rare and it's pride, right? I mean, it's just what it we is. were just talking about a moment ago. But I also think, you know, when you're talking about act and react again, this is encouraging because I, I think all the time, what, what, what should I do differently and try to make a concerted effort to figure that out right? and then do that the next time. But I, but I think the thing is like, hold on. Is that something that you've always done or is that something you've learned? It's is, some, is no, it's a, not. Well, I've learned it throughout my relationship and trying to not be at war all the time. You know, I, I think for me, the thing is like learning the very same things that annoy me about my wife or why I actually love her. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and my favorite example of that is I, um, uh, Again, as, as I hear all these things, I've definitely am ADHD, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like she, um, I, I am prone to, to anxiety and struggle with anxiety over different parts of my life. And, um, I used to get so frustrated because when we were younger and she would handle the money and a check would bounce cause we were overdrawn and I'd call her and I'd say, Hey, we're overdrawn. And I'm in, I'm, you know, tense about it. And she said, okay. I'm like, why aren't you mad? <laughs> you know, why aren't you, you know, something. She showed no emotion. Now, it did bother her, but that's not how she responded. And I, and so I would get so frustrated because I felt like she didn't care. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the second or third time that ever happened in our life that I kind of, it hit me. Well, of course she didn't respond like that. And it was, I thought how, I would probably be a dead man if she responded that way when I was, dealing with anxiety and having a panic attack. If my wife was on the same page with me and I was like, I feel like I'm going to die. She'd have been like, Oh my gosh, you are going to die. You know? And then it just spiraled down. But instead, that's why opposites attract. Exactly. I mean, I remember when we had our first kid, they came in to tell her she was going to have a C-section. She said, okay, emergency C-section. And it was like super calm. And I'm like, what are you? Okay. Okay. Like I took my cue from that. Yeah. And, because well it's her if she's good i guess i'm good you know and then i walk out of the room and everybody's all frantic and i'm like holy smokes you know but but that 
that balance. I think when you learn to appreciate that reality, mm -hmm. that the thing that's making you mad is it's only making you mad because it's not happening the way you think it should happen because of who you are. But that's the balance that actually makes your relationship work. You know what my favorite thing to say people is? Mm. I love doing this because the shock look on their face. I think I said this to you, Johnny. Um, I think I know what you're about to say. When somebody comes in and says, she knows how to push my buttons. She pushes the exact button every single time. She's just, she triggers me. <laughs> Why do you have triggers? Exactly. exactly. Right. Because here's the thing. If everybody's triggering you, it's not their fault. Right. They're just being them. You gave them the trigger in the first place. And what happens is, and, and my husband and I are a perfect example of that. We've been married 44 and a half years, been together 47 years. He was raised in this home, in this environment, with these people. He was taught this and this and this. And I was over here and could not even be more opposite. His mom and dad were bikers. He was lived with his grandma a lot because they just, I mean, their grandma lived with them and took care mm. of them. He was 14 years old playing in nightclubs. He came and went whenever he wanted. He dressed how he wanted. He was smoking when he was eight years old and drinking by the time he was 12. I had this very disciplinary, structured, authoritarian. My dad told me how to dress. He told me how to wear my hair. Every single aspect of my life was controlled. And we got together and wanted to live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. I mean, there's such extreme differences. I mean, just think about the differences and ideas that we had about parenting. Right. Oh, yeah. And I had to learn that and every couple that I have that comes in, we have this discussion because this is what brings anger. And you said it exactly right. The very thing that drew you to that person is the very thing that's causing issues right now. Mm -hmm. And we had to learn how to appreciate those things and quit getting offended. And one of the things the Holy Spirit revealed to me one day is Brad is very inattentive. He's not a detail-oriented person. Well, in some ways, I really, really like that because... I can go to bed without shaving my legs and he don't even pay no attention. <laughs> right. He could care less right. about stuff like that. But, you know, there might be a piece of paper in the floor and he doesn't even see it. And so mm -hmm. I get frustrated by that, <laughs> but I love this. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, you've got to accept a package deal. You right. don't get to pick and choose. And it's that way with our kids. It is. Yeah. It you is. Know? And with each other. We got about... Uh, six minutes left in this episode and we're going to come back in next week uh, jump a little bit more into um, how we can control our anger in the next episode um, but what do you think are some main causes that you've experienced in in helping people to identify why they are angry I think most people are angry that, that have just, anger issues they don't know why they're angry well I think most people deal with anger period it's just how that they display it as different. You've got half the population that is aggressive and spews and the other half that stuffs and they explode eventually. Eventually. Right. So, um, I think abuse is one of the number one, uh, rejection, abandonment, uh, not being validated or heard. Um, those are big ones. Injustice mm. is a big one. What do you mean by injustice? How, tell you what, how about you take some time and talk about injustice and rejection? Because I think those are two I've dealt with. Well, rejection is a big one because it's like a plant. A seed gets planted in you when you're young. It could be somebody teased you at school because you wore glasses. I mean, you know, it could be anything. Kids tease kids. Big brothers pick on little brothers, you know, or it could be... Uh, Made fun of the way you look. Something, right. Right. 
there's a seed that's planted. Well, every time something like that happens, that seed is now watered and fertilized. So it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing until rejection becomes your lifestyle. And so you're doing everything that you can to avoid that rejection. And when you do feel rejection, it triggers that anger instantly because now you've got all of this from history of people rejecting you and now somebody's just done it again. And with that anger for me, it was that self-talk voice again. Mm -hmm. Like it literally was, I came to understand it. There was another voice. There is a spirit of anger too. Yes. And well, it's really a spirit of wrath. Well, okay. Well, I had that and I don't want to wig anybody out, but I heard it on the left side of my head. I mean, for two thirds of my life, I know that voice. If you think about it though, Johnny, when you were a child and things happened that upset you, that was an open door for the enemy to come in and plant that seed. And you didn't know it. Your parents didn't know it. Nobody knew that's what was going on. We as parents do the best that we can, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on with our kids that we are clueless about. Right. And so you struggle with it and you struggle with it. And the enemy is using that as a playground. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's having a heyday now because look, I got to plant that seed and he wasn't smart enough to cast it out. The day I remember the day that God, um, revealed to me that I always had the ability to get rid of that voice. Part of the lie of that is that you can't control it. You can't stop this. And, um, again, that voice, whenever I would get angry at myself first, and then when I would outburst, well, that just reinforces my anger at myself of why did I do that? Why did I say that? Um, and you just start literally destroying yourself. And I remember the day that the Lord told me, son, (laughs) which is a great thing we could talk about someday. Um, Son, the second most powerful voice in your world to mine is your own. Mm -hmm. And that includes the one in your head. And I'm just destroying myself mentally. And I was so angry because I didn't measure up because of rejection. You didn't measure up to your own To my own expectations. expectations. So I think a lot of us have unreal expectations. That's a great chapter in your book too. Um, Destroyed myself because I'm unlovable because this person rejected me or when when um life or god brings new people into your life you constantly begin to set yourself up okay at some point they're going to reject me and you also have to include the fact that your perception of rejection is not always what the person's intention is i would say probably more than not that person has no intention of rejection you whatsoever but because you already have that root of rejection there that seed was already planted you perceive it as rejection even though there's no intention whatsoever. I don't think that most people go out and reject and hurt other people on purpose. But because we have those filters, because we have that background, that history of being rejected, we receive stuff people do as rejection. I remember being in church one time and constantly seeing friends asking other friends to church and me not ever getting asked. Mm -hmm. I mean, to lunch after church and me not ever getting asked. And that was such a huge rejection for me. And one time I just mentioned it to a friend at church and she goes, oh my God, we thought you guys were so busy. You wouldn't have time to come to lunch with us, you know, because Brad and I are just, you know, the busy people. And so what their perception of what was going on and my perception of what was going on was completely and totally different. God had to set me free from that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, man, anger, there is anger that we all deal with that is just part of emotions mm-hmm. that, um, I'm putting some things Teresa has taught me as well as just 
studying um, others. But um, anger, there is an emotion of anger that, especially for the ADD person that struggles with control. Um, and why do we, Johnny, do you remember why do we struggle with control? No. Because if we're in control. If we're in control, we can control everything. Well, if we're in control, we feel safe. We f- yeah, we can control the situation. Um, we learn safety comes in our control. So as long right. as I can control my environment, I feel safe. If some part of my environment starts getting out of control, now my I feel unsafe. So when you when we meet people like this that that are angry, first of all, I think we have to, as Christians, we have to really dial back jumping right to the spirit stuff. There is definitely a spirit of anger. But there is also a reality that that there are other things behind the scenes. I remember when I was dealing with um, as we get ready to end this session, I was dealing with the scripture that where the Bible says, don't judge. And I correlate, I was ba- balancing that with the scriptures where Jesus says, we're going to judge the earth. Yeah. You'll say, and I'm like, how, how is that possible? And here's how the Lord rectified it for me. He said, you can't see the need that drives the deed. So you don't get to judge. What we want to do is we want to judge the action, but we don't see the cause yeah, that's that, driving it. That's a benefit of being a counselor is that I have learned that whenever people are doing dysfunctional things, there's unresolved issues there. I just don't believe people get up in the morning and say, I'm going to destroy someone's life today. I just don't believe that. Isn't, isn't that the reality of it all? I mean, that's the funny thing. It's kind of like <clears throat> when, you know, I've, I, I've had this conversation with people because of where I lean politically, which is you know, opposite of a lot of people in my world. And, and I'm like, well, here's the deal. I I fundamentally believe people are good. Their, their default is that. And I said that the proof of that is there are millions and millions of guns in this country and people don't just walk out by and large. We trust each other with those guns. If you walk downtown Oklahoma city, you're not going to get shot. Right. And yet there's probably lots of people out there with guns and they're probably mad. But even then, they they're don't not just, shooting each they're other. just not, right. right. And so there's this fundamental reality. It's, and we treat people like that's not true. We think they do everything so intentionally and on purpose, which is again, kind of going back to, you know, when I'll tell my wife, Hey, this hurts my feelings, not because you meant to, I'm telling you that it is, maybe I'm perceiving it wrong or whatever, but it's just, let's get into that conversation or, you know, fix it, you know, do something nicer, whatever. But I think that is interesting though, that, that very concept, I I agree a thousand percent with you. People just by default, it's like you can point to it. When someone says, ouch, they have a wound. And if all you did was touch them on the shoulder, obviously you didn't hurt them. They were already hurt. Here's how I see it. If Johnny had this layer of skin peeled back on his arm. And so all the nerves were there, right? uh, That's what an unresolved hurt looks like an unemotional thing Mm -hmm. and so johnny and i are having a conversation in the middle of that conversation i do this yeah grab his arm and right hurting people hurt people right you know so he's gonna automatically react to that even if i'm just patting his arm because i'm making a point right and what do we do a lot of times when we meet people like that with the exposed nerves what is the common phrase that we use oh they're just sensitive Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, as if to excuse our insensitivity. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I know we're out of time, but this is so, uh, so interesting. Right before, you know, several years ago or a couple, I don't know what it was, beginning of 2020, I took the sabbatical and 
I, you know, people were talking about, um, you know, talking about being sensitive or whatever. And I said, here's the thing in the church, there's friendly fire. And I said, when you get shot by the friendly fire, even when it's an accident, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You right. telling me you didn't mean to hit me right. doesn't mean that it felt good. And that when you repeatedly do it, doesn't mean at some point I'm going to say, will you please just stop firing? If you can't hit the target, <laughs> at least let me get out of the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and I play paintball a lot and that actually happens a lot. That conversation comes up a lot of times. The guy hits you, you walk back, you tag back in. The guy hits you a second time. You're like, hey, we are on the same team. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, don't get so upset. Well, well, don't repetitive, repetitively do this, yeah. you know, yeah. and you, you kind of get in those moments, but I think that's the deal. It's exactly that. I, you know, I use that analogy of the sunburn on Sunday morning, you, you know, in the summer, a lot of people from your congregation spent Saturday at the lake and they come in and you pat them on the back. Hey buddy. Boom. And he freaks out. Ah, and they, they, you see the, there's anger. Like the instant response is anger. And that person has to process the guy that just did that actually did it because he loved me not to cause me pain <laughs> right here's the problem with that though it hurts more when it's in the church absolutely because church people aren't supposed to hurt each right. other right we have these stupid unrealistic expectations that should never have existed in the first place right. this is boy this is round and this 12 is <laughs> why we are going to deal with how um how we especially those of us that are christ followers what can we do to help control our anger um and and so that we don't hurt each other and also resolve some of the conflicts and when we come back in the next episode we'll also uh pick miss uh, Teresa's brain a little bit um, about how some coping mechanisms with adhd can also help us with anger so come on let's get healthy mentally physically and spiritually because the world needs a renewed you we'll be back see you next time